When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Martyrs and Missionaries is a production of Revive Studios. You're listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise, and in every episode, I'll bring you a new martyr and or missionary, the called and the brave. In this episode, we're talking about Mary Reed, missionary to lepers in India. I hope that you all had a happy new year and a Merry Christmas. And on the last episode that we did where I paired up with the Revive Thoughts crew, I had a simple Christmas wish, and that was to reach 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. And you guys came through. We made 100 uh, reviews, and that's incredible. And we also have 125 stars on Spotify, which is so awesome. I just found that out this week. Um, And we also have a lot of reviews on Spotify, which some of them I knew about, others I didn't. And I have um, been combing through those and was like, oh my goodness, there are so many I haven't read yet. Uh, And I want to share two of them with you, one from Apple, one from Spotify, because I realized that you guys probably want to hear some of the things um, that that other people are saying, because it's uh, certainly encouraging for me, and I hope it is encouraging for you guys. Now, this one is uh, on Apple, and it is from the other Pastor Stanley. And he says, when I first discovered this podcast, I was listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I'm a former pastor, and between my own negative experiences and all the stories of pastors and churches abusing their congregations, it became easy to begin questioning how much good the church has actually done. I knew there were stories of Christians and churches doing incredible good in the world, so I looked for a podcast telling those stories, and I found this podcast. Thank you so much for telling these amazing stories of how Christians have done so much good around the world and actually lived out the faith that they claimed. I love this review because it is so easy to find negative stories about the church in our culture. And there are negative stories, but there are so many amazing ones. And so I think it's awesome and very commendable uh, that the other pastor, Stanley, decided to find those stories and that he found this podcast. And so thank you for that review. And this one is from Spotify. It's a little bit older from the Hudson Taylor episodes. Uh, This girl says, I love this episode. I am 11 years old and I have felt the calling on my life to be a missionary to China. This episode is such an inspiration to me. I'll pray for you every day. I think that's awesome and inspiring. And I will pray for you every day that you uh, can become a missionary to China because that would be just amazing. All right. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Mary Reed, who was not only a missionary to lepers, but was also a leper herself. And I'm going to have to work very hard not to say leopard accidentally. It's so easy. You'd be amazed how easy it is. Uh, But I stumbled across Mary Reed's name in a list of missionaries, and I wanted to learn more. She was just one name in a huge list. And I was clicking through, uh, looking at at some of the names I wasn't familiar with. 
Um, And there aren't that many resources about her life, but there is one short book called Mary Read, Missionary to Lepers. It's written in 1900. It's about eight years into her ministry, but she actually lives in India until her death in 1943 when she's 89 years old. So I wish we had more about her ministry. It's not ideal, but it is not necessarily an uncommon problem, especially when you're looking at these people who were not super well-known, like a Hudson Taylor or an Amy Carmichael. I was able to find some other sources, but most of the quotes and information for this episode will come from that book. So Mary Reed is born in Lowell, Ohio in 1854. And if you're a map person like me who is wondering where Lowell is, Lowell is a hop, skip, and a jump away from the West Virginia border. Um, She is the oldest girl in a family of four boys and four girls. It looks like Mary became a Christian when she was about 16 years old, and then she was a school teacher for the next 10 years. And we really don't get any insight as to how or why she felt called to missions or why to India specifically. But she reached out to the Women's Foreign Missionary Society, which was connected to the Methodist Episcopal Church. And then she offered her services to work with the Zanana Missions of India. Zanana missions were really popular in India at this time, and Zanana literally means of the women, and it refers to the inner rooms of a house that were reserved solely for the women. And these Zanana were necessary because of the practice of Purda that was practiced among Hindus and Muslims, and it was actually brought over during the spread of Islam to India. So many women who practiced Purda were isolated completely from the outside world and only allowed to see other women or their male relatives. But if they happened to go outside, they needed to be hidden away from their by their clothing and being entirely covered from head to toe and then shielded from even looking outside during a carriage ride to visit other women or wherever it was they needed to go. And Prada is not really practiced in India anymore among Hindus, but it is practiced by Muslims around the world to wildly varying degrees. It depends on your family, on your region. But as you can imagine, it would be very difficult for missionaries to access these women with the gospel. And so therefore, these Zanana missions were set up where women missionaries, often trained for medical missions, could access these women and provide oftentimes much needed medical care as these women's medical services um, were often neglected due to their isolation, and then also be able to share the gospel with them in a way that traditional mission work and male missionaries were not able to do. So Mary leaves home to serve at the end of 1884 when she is 30 years old, and she is going to serve in one of these missions in the city of Kanpur. Kanpur was infamous, at least during this time, for the Kanpur massacre, which had happened about 30 years before during some of the Sepoy uprisings. And it's a really brutal story that would make it even more difficult, I feel like, to go uh, to this city um, as a as a European or an American missionary in this case. But she actually wasn't in Kanpur for very long before she got sick and then had to travel further up north toward the Himalayas to recover. And while she's there, she focuses on language studies, and also she watched the construction begin on a beautiful homestead facility for lepers, which unbeknownst to her was to be her home for most of her life. After she recovers, she goes back to Kanpur to work with the Zanana missions, and then she works for a year in Gonda, which is a city about 130 miles northeast. And since she'd gotten to India, she struggled with her health, but it was in Gonda that she deteriorated enough that she was actually forced to go back to America to recover. And while she's at home in America, she undergoes at least one surgery and then some kind of treatment course. But what they thought she had, I'm not really sure. Uh, One of her symptoms was a constant tingling pain in her right forefinger and then a strange spot on her cheek up near her ear. 
And she took to reading medical books to see if she could discover the cause. And then she settles on leprosy. So she goes to a doctor in Cincinnati who then tentatively confirms her suspicions, but then sends her to a specialist in New York to make sure. And then he also confirms her suspicions uh, that it is, in fact, leprosy. And I want to talk a little bit about what it would be like to hear those words in 1890. Up until the 1940s, contracting leprosy was a death sentence because there was no cure. Leprosy is a bacteria that attacks the body and affects your nerves, causing excruciating pain. It impacts your mucous membranes, your eyes, your hearing. It causes body sores and disfigurement. And because it attacks the nerves and causes nerve damage, many leprosy patients injure themselves due to lack of sensitivity, which then leads to an infection and oftentimes leads to them having to have parts of their body amputated, especially fingers and toes. People who contracted leprosy became outcasts of society, which is a pretty well-known fact, but leper colonies far away from civilization even exist today with one of the largest ones uh, being in the Philippines, India still has about 700 leper colonies. And leprosy, which is also called Hansen's disease, I didn't know that until recently, uh, but it was thought to be highly contagious. And often the afflicted were stigmatized as being sexually promiscuous or as having committed some other grave sin. There were no modern advancements towards a cure until the 1940s, and then it wasn't until 1995 that the multi-drug treatment, which cures leprosy today and totally cures it uh, with ease, was provided free of charge worldwide. It doesn't reverse any damage already caused by the leprosy, but it stops it and makes it uh, go away. So that's awesome. But there is still about 200,000 leprosy cases each year, with the vast majority being in India, Brazil, and Indonesia. India accounts for almost 60% of all leprosy cases. And interestingly enough, 95% of the world's population actually has a natural immunity to leprosy. But contracting leprosy in 1890 meant total societal erasure. Mary Reed was an American, and in America, there were three places that existed for lepers, one of which was in Louisiana, one in Massachusetts, and one in Hawaii. And the one you most wanted to be sent to was the one in Hawaii. The one you really didn't want to be sent to was in Louisiana. In Hawaii, you could actually marry uh, and have children, but then any children you had would be taken by the state to keep them from contracting leprosy. But in Louisiana, conditions were much more prison-esque, with men and women being kept separate by a tall fence. And in all of these facilities, you weren't allowed to leave. You weren't allowed to work. You couldn't see family and friends. You couldn't vote. And in many cases, you were told to even erase your very identity, choosing a different name to help your family on the outside escape the shame of your existence. And in India, it was even worse. As a leper, you were subjected to a number of discriminatory laws. Uh, lepers were forbidden from running in local elections, obtaining a driver's license in the 1930s, not in the 1890s, but you were forbidden from traveling by train. And then having leprosy was considered grounds for divorce in India until 2019. And here's something kind of wild to consider. We pretty much all grew up hearing the multiple stories about lepers in the Bible. And from an early age, most kids raised in a Christian home know what leprosy is. And there were some missionaries over the years who served among lepers, notably Father Damien in Hawaii earlier in the 1800s. However, it wasn't until 1874 
that the first mission to lepers was established by Wellesley and Alice Bailey, who were visiting their missionary friends in India and saw lepers for the first time. And they immediately went back to England to raise money to build a care facility in the city of Almora, which is in northern India. And it was an extension of that facility that Mary Reed saw being built 20 years later. So going back to Mary, she's given the official diagnosis of leprosy with no idea how she contracted it because she didn't work among lepers, but she keeps her diagnosis to herself, prayerfully working towards her next moves when she feels her mind drawn to the new mission to lepers facility in India. And she decides to go back to India and ask special permission to become their first missionary, a role that she was now perfect for. And then quoting from her biography here, Desiring to spare her family the pain the sad knowledge must have brought to them and denying herself the motherly sympathy for which she must have yearned, she kept them, with the single exception of her sister Rena, in ignorance about what had befallen her. If you will let me go without a special goodbye, as though I were returning tomorrow, it will be much easier for me, she said. And so, self-debarred from even a farewell kiss, she went forth from that happy home circle to become the center and head of one of the saddest of all the families of suffering humanity. It's impossible for us to imagine the strength that it would have taken to leave your family as if nothing was wrong and you aren't even able to touch them, knowing that you intended to die in India and then never see them again. And then imagine again the anguish her family would have felt when they learned the truth long after Mary was gone. In September of 1891, Mary's mission organization approached the leper mission about the possibility of Mary becoming the superintendent of the leper asylum in Pathora, way up in northern India near the Nepal border, and that asylum was called Chandog. When newspapers learned of this American missionary afflicted with leprosy, having gone back to India to live among lepers, she became something of a missionary celebrity. And so love and support poured in from both America and Europe. And she found godly friendship among the other missionaries who were also serving in northern India. Writing about the scenery of her new home, Mary says, Away to the north, seemingly only one or two days' journey, are the eternal snows whose grandeur and sublimity are indescribable. They are so pure and bright and peaceful. At sunset and sunrise, it is easy to imagine them visible foundations of the eternal city. They are lighted up with such a halo of glory. But it is of the mountains among which I live that I want to tell you. They enclose a lovely valley called Shore, like a massive and exquisitely beautiful frame around a magnificent picture. My home is on the crest of the range, which forms the western boundary of the valley. And the picture, a rich and beautiful valley containing about six square miles, lies more than 1,000 feet below my lofty and lovely retreat, and is dotted with numerous villages which are surrounded by clumps of trees and terraced garden fields of rice, wheat, and other grains. And through this valley, a little river and its tributaries wind in and out and a ridge of low hills divides it, while almost at its center, situated on the prominent eminences, are the mission buildings of our Methodist Episcopal Church. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
She was warmly welcomed by the other lepers at Chondog, and she took her role as their caretaker very seriously, not allowing herself to wallow in self-pity that I imagine would threaten to consume you if you didn't stay busy and then also bathed in prayer. And she was routinely found in the hospital, binding wounds and administering medicines, although she herself actually took no medicines uh, or treatments for at least the first eight years or so of her affliction. I found other sources that said that later in her life she did, um, and she was uh, taking injections and other medicines as medical advancements in leprosy were being made. For the first six months she was at Chondog, she said that the disease made decided progress. She was in constant agony from the nerve pain, and what had just been tingling in her index finger progressed to a wound that burst open no less than 20 times. Most of the personal knowledge that we have about Mary Reed comes from her letters to Wellesley and Alice Bailey, who were the founders of the Mission to Lepers, which still exists today, but has changed its name to the Leprosy Mission. Writing of her struggle, she tells the Baileys, I am sure his love, his wisdom, and his power are at work. Words are empty to tell of a love like his. He has enabled me to say, not with a sigh, but with a song, thy will be done. The end may come, and that tomorrow, when he has wrought his will in me. She also includes a bit of prose from John Ruskin, whom you may remember from our Lilius Trotter episode because he was the guy who really wanted to marry Lilius. And then here's a fun tidbit for you. Lilius is pen pals with Amy Carmichael, who was serving in India at the same time as Mary Reed, although she was far in the south and Mary's way up north. And there doesn't seem to be any evidence they ever crossed paths, but uh, it's still cool to think about. But quoting from Ruskin here, she continues, In our whole life melody, the music is broken off here and there by rests. We foolishly think we have come to the end of the tune. God sends a time of forced leisure a time of sickness and disappointed plans, and makes a sudden pause in the choral hymn of our lives, and we lament that our voices must be silent and our part missing in the music, which ever goes up to the ear of the Creator. Not without design does God write the music of our lives. Be it ours to learn the tune and not be dismayed at the rests. If we look up, God will beat the time for us. When Mary first moves to Chondog, the surrounding scenery was breathtaking, as she documented, but the living conditions were mostly a collection of mud huts and stables where 37-ish people were housed. Epithera, which is where Chondog was located, had the most cases of leprosy uh, in all of India, disproportionate to its population. For no particular reason I could find, but that's the statistics. She makes it her goal to beautify and expand Chandog in order to make it able to house more people who needed help and also to make it a pleasant place to live. So in time, Mary purchases additional land and then builds two large buildings accommodating 60 men and boys and then three smaller ones for women and children. Two hospitals, one of which was an isolation hospital for extreme cases that had a dispensary attached to it. She builds two chapels and then two other buildings, one of which was the little bungalow that was fitted up for her to use, which she had named Sunny Crest Cottage. One generous friend purchased her an organ uh, that she loved to play, and then she had this gallery of pictures all over her wall, and she was really proud of her little house. Before Mary arrived, everyone at Chondog got their water supply from the river, which flowed into the city below, and Mary thought that probably wasn't the best idea. And so she worked to find an alternative source of water. It took a while, but eventually they were able to find a suitable place to build a well, 
which secured their private water source. And then some people had sent seeds from the U.S. and she used them to fill the mountainside with beautiful flowers. There was a vegetable garden and a small chicken yard that helped the food supply. Although during World War I and a few famines that happened every now and again, they did find it difficult to procure staples like rice and grain at reasonable costs. For the longest time, Mary was something of a one-woman show because she was the housekeeper, the head nurse, the chaplain, the secretary, and the bookkeeper. And then with some assistance, she looked after the diet and simple medical treatment of her patients, taught them to read, and held chapel services, prayer groups, and classes. And if you're thinking, oh my goodness, that's a lot of things— I'm not even done because she was also the district missionary for her organization. She supervised six village schools, three Sunday schools. She directed a group of women that went around teaching the Bible and taught students in their homes. And her village circuit to complete all of this was 40 miles start to finish. But the good news is that Mary's ministry among those at Chondog was especially fruitful. Within five years, 64 out of 82 patients had become Christians, and she didn't take their professions lightly. She grilled them to make sure they understood the gospel, fully understood it. They studied various catechisms, and she would ask them difficult questions to ensure they truly understood and didn't just memorize the correct answers, and then only then would she present them for baptism. And there were many lepers in the district who refused to come to Chondog purely because they knew it was a Christian institution and they didn't want to come under any Christian influence. Instead, they roamed around in colonies, sleeping outside and scrounging for food. And there were some who came seemingly only to cause discord among the community. There was one woman who took two of the younger people, a a boy and a girl, under her wing and then poisoned them against Chondog until they left. And Mary took that especially hard because she had been discipling this girl. But thankfully, it wasn't too long before both she and the boy came back to Chondog, having seen the alternative on the outside. But even among the Christians at the mission, there were obstacles to overcome. There's this story from the book. One of the newly baptized women had her first test almost immediately after baptism. Another woman is very ill and required someone to sit up with her all night. The sick woman was originally low caste, while this woman, who had just been baptized, was originally high caste. Mary asked the newly baptized woman if she would sit up with the sick woman and look after her. At first, she hung her head and did not seem willing, but on Mary putting it to her that she was now a Christian, all these ideas had to go. She consented without any more ado, and so her first stand and fight are over, and she has been given the victory. By 1898, Mary was suffering even more from the the disease with a new symptom, uh, which was agonizing throat pain, which is a common symptom, apparently, that can render some sufferers of leprosy completely mute. And she decided that she could no longer divide her time between Chondog and her duties to the missions organization, uh, which she had served for 14 years. So then she respectfully resigned. No one was upset. It was an understandable reason. Uh, And then she was able to focus solely on her work at the mission. But the following year, her health had improved so dramatically with no outward signs or sores that she was pronounced healthy enough to attend the North India Conference of her former mission. And so for the first time in nine years, she was welcomed into regular society and everyone was eager to see her. She was asked to get up and give a speech to the waiting audience. She was so overcome with emotion and praise that all she could say was, let us sing. And she led the group in a Hindustani translation of Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to sing. 
Her health had recovered so miraculously that some people began to doubt that she had ever had leprosy at all, and these medical missionaries came forward to tell her their opinion that she had been misdiagnosed. Their opinions went out to newspapers and created a great deal of confusion for all of these people who had been praying for Mary and her leprosy, and it caused a great deal of grief for Mary, who had had her case handled by several doctors with preeminent expertise in leprosy. In a letter addressing this kerfuffle, she says, He gives me wondrous health and strength far, far beyond what could be expected from a purely human standpoint. My general health has never been so good as it has been now for nearly a year. Some of my friends have the impression from my, my appearance and from the fact that Dr. Condon himself stated some months ago that he considered me practically healed, that I have been made whole. But I know that a seal to the work of my master's appointing here at Chondog Heights has become so plainly visible at times that no one could doubt that the, that the disease still lingers in my system, though my finger does not now burst open as it did more than a score of times before 1898. Who can fail to recognize the hand of God staying in the malady in answer to prayer of a multitude of Christian hearts bound by the blessed tie of Christian love? Most humbly do I praise and thank God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the fountain of life and health and peace, for marvelously improved health. He has heard the voice of, my, of our supplications. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiced, and with my song I will praise him. In 1906, she was in such good health that she was able to return to the U.S. to visit her family. Her identity remained a secret to the public at large, and she was able to travel without scandal or impediment. She was able to visit the Baileys in Liverpool, and this was the second and seemingly last time that she saw her longtime pen pals. Doctors in London marveled that it seemed as though her illness had come to a standstill, and she was even able to tour the Holy Land before returning to Chondog to continue her ministry. And after that, she didn't leave Chondog again except for in 1924 when she was 70 for an emergency dental procedure. One of her sisters wrote asking if she would not like to return to spend the remainder of her life at the, in the old home, but her reply was, no, my work and duty here are not yet finished. How I long to see you, dear ones, but the meeting will be in the heavenly home. In 1932, her leprosy came back, but she still continued to supervise Chondog until 1938, and then even still, she continued to minister from her home there. This resurgence of leprosy had affected her eyesight, and when she was walking down the steps of her home, she fell and was in immense pain for 24 days before she died of heart failure on April 8, 1943, when she was almost 90 years old. Her funeral was attended by 200 people, both Christians and non-believers alike. She was buried on a grassy slope in front of the Chandog Chapel. She had served in India for 58 years in total, 52 of those at Chandog faithfully serving in the unique mission field where the Lord had brought her. I shared some of the letters she wrote during the misdiagnosis debacle, and I wanted to share her closing thoughts in that letter because I think it gives us a great insight into her character and is also a great reminder for us today. Please pray for the salvation of the thousands of unsaved souls who have heard the call to come to Jesus and be saved. There are many all about us here who have heard the message of salvation, but are halting between two opinions. Please pray for them every time you think about us here in this little outpost. As we pray and wait for the Lord, we come more and more to see with His eyes and think His thoughts. 
The flame of love burns more brightly, and we become missionary-hearted, with a heart somewhat akin to that of the first great missionary who came such a long, long journey to this lost and ruined world, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting light. May God help us all to assist in carrying the gospel to these perishing souls. May the Lord himself teach us and help us to be faithful in the ministry of intercession that his kingdom may come and his will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. As always, thank you for listening to Mars and Missionaries. I'm Elise. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.